from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. First of all, I didn't even realize that there were segregated streetcars with, you know, the word colored in a sign uh, in Manhattan. It's just not something that we were taught right. in the North or the South. And so I really wanted to look into that more. And I was just amazed at, at uh, just how bad things were in the North in terms of, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize there was slavery in the North. So I wanted to get into that in this book, Streetcar to Justice. And because you can't tell her story, I realized Elizabeth Jennings' story without all the context of Jim Crow in the North, and before that, slavery in the North. Amy Hillharth, journalist and author of Streetcar to Justice, How Elizabeth Jennings Won the Right to Ride in New York, published by HarperCollins Publishers. Before there was Rosa Parks, there was Elizabeth Jennings. On July 16, 1854, on her way to choir rehearsal, Jennings was forcibly removed by the conductor and a nearby police officer when she was refused a seat on a New York City streetcar. Returning home with cuts, bruises, and scratches, her father was outraged. With the assistance of her church, the African-American community in the city, and Frederick Douglass, this incident set into motion a major court case in Manhattan in which a future president would be involved and was the first step in the process of desegregating public transportation in the Big Apple. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Streetcar to Justice with Amy Hill Hart in Black America. The first one that pulled up was it had no sign in it, which meant it was designated for white people. A black person could ride on one of those cars if the conductor felt like letting them ride or if no, if no passengers complained. So there was always this this stressful situation where you you hoped if you were if you were worried about getting to your job on time and the, you see the the quote unquote colored cars uh, they actually had a sign that said colored in these in this car they were very they came late if they came at all so anyway Elizabeth asked this conductor she said look I'm really kind of worried I want to make sure I get to to church I I have to practice with the choir I'm an organist. And um, I don't see a, a colored car coming, and uh, could I just ride? The mistreatment of African-American riders on public transportation in 1854 in New York City wasn't new. What happened to Elizabeth Jennings was another in a long line of incidents in which conductors pushed, insulted, and ejected African-American passengers. What was new is that the Jennings family wasn't going to take it anymore. After she returned home, bruised and injured, her father asked Elizabeth to write down what had happened with as much detail as possible. Her father took the letter to the African-American leaders of the city. An emergency meeting was called at the first colored American congregational church where her letter was read. A decision was made to take this to an attorney. In her book, Streetcar to Justice, Amy Hill Hearth gives us a fascinating story about a young African-American woman fight for justice that changed public transportation in New York City. One of the things that jumped out at me in researching him was a story that was a big deal in its day, but it had been forgotten. And it was a case where he represented a young woman named Elizabeth Jennings, who'd been thrown off of a segregated streetcar in Manhattan, injured, 
and then uh, went to court. And it was hard to find, this was 1854, it was hard to find an attorney who would take the case because all the attorneys were white men, and it just was not something that most of them would be bothered with. But he took the case, and uh, he won. He was only 24 years old. And um, through the house and then researching him, I found about, out about this story. And I thought, no, I've never heard of this, and I, I would like to know more about this woman. I mean, first of all, I didn't even realize that there were segregated streetcars with, you know, the word colored in a sign uh, in Manhattan. It's just not something that we were taught right. in the North or the South. And... So I really wanted to look into that more, and I was just amazed at at uh, just how bad things were in the North in terms of, I mean, a lot of people don't even realize there was slavery in the North. So I wanted to get into that in this book, Streetcar to Justice, because you can't tell her story, I realized, Elizabeth Jennings' story, without all the context of Jim Crow in the North, mm-hmm. and before that, slavery in the North. And then I got more involved in that, and I thought, you know, I really, I'm going to put in some timelines and and some sidebars and really explain it because even my my grammar school teacher or sister over in Long Island says, you know, kids have the wrong idea. They just think the the North was the good side and the South was <laughs> the bad side. That's kind of how it's taught in the North. And of course, in the South, I you know. It, Most people I know, north and south, do not know or they know very, very little about what was going on in the north. And I think it really is important to understand the whole story. So Elizabeth Jennings gave me an opportunity to really dive into some of this history, which is ignored. And plus, she's wonderful character in her own i mean she i was able to use her own words because she wrote this one long letter in which she she uses such great language you know victorian era language Uh, she was a teacher herself and she would say those monsters in human form referring to the policeman who mistreated her and the conductor and the driver of the horses on the horse-drawn streetcar. And uh, so you really get a sense of her personality from this one long letter. And it was a really important story. and It was a really important case. And for about 25 years, people in New York celebrated every February 22nd. It was Elizabeth Jennings Day, the day that she won in court. It's the first major step in ending segregation in New York in the transportation but it sort of just evaporated over time it was forgotten now let's talk about Elizabeth for a little bit she came from a pretty well-to-do family considering you know the 1800s right her father was a tailor he owned his own shop Mm -hmm. he was very active in all kinds of organizations anti-slavery organizations, and he he was friends with all kinds of, of fascinating people, among them Frederick Douglass. And Frederick Douglass published Elizabeth Jennings' firsthand account along with the New York Daily Tribune, Horace Greeley's paper. So the father was influential, as influential as a black man could be in right. the 1850s. They were not wealthy, but they were more independent than and, and than more most. successful. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
also understand that her dad, Thomas, had a patent? Yes, he did. He's believed to be the first black person to have received a patent uh, from the United States government. It was a patent for a method of dry cleaning that he invented. So he was an interesting man. And he and his wife had five children, and Elizabeth was the youngest. And all of the children went to a school in New York that was called the African Free School. Mm -hmm. And um, so they were educated, and and they were in an impossible position of being educated, but they didn't really have anywhere to go with it because they couldn't couldn't get a job. Teaching was one of the few things that they could do. Tell us what actually happened that Sunday when she went with Sarah, her friend, uh, to go to choir rehearsal since she was the organist. Well, um, she walked from her home uh, where she lived with her parents as an unmarried lady. She lived with her parents on Church Street in Manhattan. She walked through the Five Points neighborhood, which is kind of a notorious neighborhood, but that's where she had to go in order to catch the, the Third Avenue line. She met up with one of her friends along the way, a young woman named Sarah Adams. They waited for at a specific stop for the street horse-drawn streetcar to pull up. And the first one that pulled up was it had no sign in it, which meant it was designated for white people. A black person could ride on one of those cars if the conductor felt like letting them ride or if no if no passengers complained so there was always this this stressful situation where you you hoped if you were if you were worried about getting to your job on time and you see that the, the quote-unquote colored cars uh, they actually had a sign that said colored in these in this car they were very they came late if they came at all so anyway, Elizabeth asked this conductor, she said, look, I'm really kind of worried. I want to make sure I get to, to church. I, I have to practice with the choir. I'm an organist. And um, I don't see a colored car coming. And uh, could I just ride, uh, my friend and I? And he became very belligerent. He was very ugly. And it ended up with him shoving her really hard off of the trolley, the street front the horse-drawn streetcar, right onto her back with her head hanging off of the platform. And her friend thought she was going to be murdered. And Elizabeth got up and went back on the trolley. She was so mad that she she was really just so humiliated and, uh, and angry. She went back on. And this time the conductor said, well, you know, you're going to pay for this, words to that that effect. Mm -hmm. And he told the driver of the horses to take off until they saw a policeman. And they did. So they went a few blocks at high high speed, which on a horse-drawn streetcar is about 10 miles an hour. But they raced until they saw a policeman. The policeman only listened to the white conductor and the white driver of the horses and he shoved her, he shoved the policeman, he shoved Elizabeth right into the street. So, and then they took off. So nobody listened to what she had to say, of course. And she just had to hobble home. And she had a lot of bruises, cuts, scrapes, possibly broken bones. She was in bad shape. Uh, when she got home, her parents were shocked. 
the doctor was called, and she was told to have complete bed rest uh, for several weeks. So at the church where she was going, uh, everyone was, of course, very upset. Everyone found out about it very quickly, and they had a meeting, and Elizabeth's letter was read out loud about what had happened. And then they went to find an attorney. And that's another whole part of it because they were very lucky that they found Chester Arthur to take the case. But Chester was... Arthur was not the original <laughs> attorney that they went to see. Right. He worked at the law firm. That's right. They wanted Erastus Culver, who was right. very well known for doing this kind of case. Mm-hmm. But he had just agreed to become a judge in Brooklyn. Right. And he had to, he persuaded Elizabeth and her father and the the other people who were supporting her that this very young man named Chester Arthur, who had been practicing law for six weeks, exactly uh, that he he could that he had a passion for this kind of case and that he would do a good job. So they didn't have much choice but to go along with it because he was about the only person, the only attorney in Manhattan who would who would take the case. But he did come through for them and. Um, they won the case, and now, it was. A, <laughs> I think they were all in shock. Well, let's talk. Let's let's talk about the case for for a few minutes. Now, instead of filing the charges or the case in Manhattan, they chose to file it in Brooklyn, where the Third Avenue company was actually located. Right, that's that is what they needed to do because that's where the. Uh, now, who the came up with that idea? Was it well, I, I Arthur think that was, or the, or the uh, fa- her father Thomas? That was uh, that was Chester Arthur. He okay, he realized he had to file a case there. It was a civil case, and it needed to mm-hmm. be where the where the uh, owners were. The father's the one who came up with this strategy, and apparently, you know, Chester Arthur agreed with it and went along with it but it was really the father who in a letter that was that i located who wrote that what they really hoped was to get damages from this company and that they hoped that it would make them all realize that it was just not worth having these segregated cars and the idea was not to just win for Elizabeth, but for everyone in that situation, and that and it worked. They right. they did win, and the Third Avenue Railroad Company took down their those signs. The cars were desegregated immediately, and several others followed suit, and it it really was the first significant step. So there were several setbacks, some other cases that. Uh, that were that didn't go as well, but the Elizabeth Jennings case was the first major step. Now I found it. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. I found it interesting when the judge charged the jury. He explained what the law was, and the company couldn't exempt themselves from what their em- employees did. And if they were, in, if they believed Elizabeth. And also, she was lucky enough to be a beneficiary of a bystander who said, "If you needed a witness to what happened, you know, I'm I'm there." So I found that interesting, since you know the jury was white, the judge was white, and when he laid out what the laws were, it was pretty, I guess, historic to the point that she was going against all these other white individuals, which was the the 
justice system at that time? Right. Well, when they looked, when Chester Arthur and Elizabeth's father, Thomas Jennings, they did the research and they found that under statutes that were already on the books in New York State, that these it really they these statutes needed to be they had to be followed they had to be respected so the judge explained that to the jury they could still have turned around and and just ignored her plight but you know they, obviously they had a a judge who was a thoughtful person a progressive minded person and somehow the teamwork with um, Thomas Jennings, Elizabeth's father, and Chester Arthur, um, they they came up with a strategy, and um, it, it worked. It was, they were, I think they were very surprised, and it was a, uh, a great day, and Frederick Douglass wrote about it. The story was covered in, in newspapers across the country, and many of them, mostly black newspapers, but some of them were also white-owned anti-slavery newspapers um, that covered it. And one of the things that made it hard to research this story is that almost all of those newspapers, really all of them, have been out of business for so long that you have to dig through the archives to uh, to find the material. There was an entire... I guess cluster of of uh, these very important anti-slavery uh, papers, um, as well as the black press, um, which, as you know, was incredible and just incredibly active and doing very important work. And and there are still many fine black newspapers. I was just reading the Amsterdam News the other day. But the original ones uh, are gone, you know. Mm-hmm. So that made that that's part of the reason why the story just kind of disappeared. It just made it hard for people to research, and I think people just forgot about it. And there's no evidence that she did anything to keep the story uh, going. She just went right back to teaching, and in fact, she did something very interesting when she was very old lady right before she died. She started the first free black kindergarten in New York right. in her home. Exactly. So this was a woman who she, teaching was her first love, and um, she was still breaking new ground right up till the time she died in 1901. I also found it interesting. The trial was held February 22nd, 1855, and at the time of this interview, it's kind of frigid here in America, and. As we stated earlier, the trial was in Brooklyn, but the Brooklyn Bridge has yet to be built. (laughs) Right. So if the temperatures were anything like it is today where you are and like it is in central Texas, it was pretty frigid. Plus, they had to cross a river that was kind of treacherous, to say the least, at that time. Uh, yes, indeed. That East River has always been a been. It's not that wide, but it's a, exactly. got a lot of strong currents. But you know, I was so excited about the idea, and I wanted people to see. I found a picture, a painting mm-hmm. of people walking exactly. to Brooklyn, right. and I thought, oh my God, that has to go in the book because it's just it's just really sets the. Uh, it, it makes it very clear the era as mm-hmm. long before the. Uh, 
the famous Brooklyn Bridge was built. And so if it was cold enough, you had to walk because the little uh, ferries couldn't go. Exactly. I just loved details like that. And I've, I've tried to find as many as I could to make the story come alive. Now, what was it like since it was so long ago that most of the research, if you could find any researchers on microfilm or microfish. Oh, boy, that whole microfilm, <laughs> microfish thing. Let me tell you. Being a I, journalist, I need... so you have, you have a good idea <laughs> of, of, of what that process was oh. like and then actually trying to review it, it on modern technology. Well, you know, there fortunately, <laughs> more and more things are becoming available on the Internet, though, there, we're a long way from getting uh, everything on the Internet, that's mm-hmm. for sure. It, it really is still a matter of going to the Schomburg or the main branch of the New York Public Library and finding a date that you think might be the right one. And you give a little slip of paper to the, the librarian and exactly. they get as excited as you do. And we say, <laughs> oh, I hope we have that. And then like an hour later, they come back, especially downtown, the, the main branch, because obviously it's, I, they have stores under Bryant Park. So they send some guy off to find this obscure piece of whatever. And then you sit there with that machine, and I I needed glasses after this book. I'm telling you, I never did it before. <laughs> it is so exhausting, but it's so exciting when you find when you find what you're looking for. It's it's great, and I want to talk to kids. I'm planning to talk about this and about. Um, I have a file called Dead Ends. I want to tell them about that, and mm-hmm. um, I think there's many different ways to talk about this story in terms of how it came to be that I think is interesting and important for young people to know about. And speaking of young people, it was a group of students in the area that were researching, ironically, for something for Martin Luther King's birthday, you know, some years ago that actually ran across this information about Elizabeth Jennings. And they couldn't have the park named after, but they had a street sign close to the area where the the streetcar incident occurred. Yes, they did. And, you know, I interviewed the teacher, and she's wonderful. Mm -hmm. The teacher encouraged them to do this, and they did, and they learned all about getting signatures, and they got the street sign up for her. And I thought it was great. Um, uh, My goal, I'd like to see a statue I I would really like to see it right in City Hall Park, a statue of Elizabeth Jennings. There are are almost, I think it's three or four statues of women Mm -hmm. in all of New York City. It's ridiculous. And I don't know that there are any black women. So she would be be great. And it needs to be in a place like City Hall Park, not some, you know, some obscure place that that people might not come across it. So, but you know, those those kids were great, and I thought I would add that to the to the book because I wanted to maybe right, you give the idea to other kids that that you can do this. You know, you can you can try and and help preserve history. What do you want readers to come away with? I want well, I'd like two things. I would like for them to know about this extraordinary woman, and that she accomplished something uh, that was very difficult, and she was very brave, and that this was at a time when women 
who had uh, accomplishments such as hers uh, were just not, they just never were written into the textbooks at all. So I'd like for her to be known and remembered. Um, and what she needed was a book. I mean, there's little scraps of her, her here and there, but she really needed a book with all of the research in it, like like what I did. And the other thing is I really want people to understand more about what was going on in the North. Mm-hmm. It's very oversimplified, this whole idea that, you know, the North were the good guys and the South were the bad guys. And uh, there's so few people. Uh, I've talked to people in, in New York who, in the city, who should know better, but they just, nobody was teaching it to people up here. I mean, when I tell them there was a municipal slave market at Wall Street, they're like, what are you talking about? Exactly. They don't know. So I'm hoping that I help to add to the conversation about, you know, it's a very complex and and devastating history, but if we only know parts of it or we've just oversimplified it in some way, that doesn't that doesn't help us today to understand why we are where we are. As you say that, why was it important for you to put this whole event in context of the time? Why was it important? Yes, to uh, include I, to actually, you know, to frame it where it was it was not an isolated right incident in I, itself. But it was a part of what society was all about in New York City, particularly in Manhattan. I just felt that people knew so little okay. that it would be really not doing anyone a service to write just about her mm-hmm. as if she fell from the sky and this right. this happened. I really felt the more that I was reading about the era and the time and place, I wanted the whole picture. The context is really important, and so it, the book is about her. It's a biography of her, but it's really about the North mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the Civil War. And um, as you said, I even have a I even have a sidebar about the famous Civil Civil War draft riots, which, which I found horrible. I, which I found um, interesting because I didn't know about that. Yeah, that's something that they they. Nobody ever gets around to teaching us that either. So um, I think the more we know about real history of America, the more it's got to be a benefit to everyone. It doesn't help us to have these uh, missing, big missing pieces, Mm -hmm. whether you're white or black or Asian, whether you're a newcomer to this country or whether you're from a family that's been here a long time. It's just important to understand the the true history of the place where you live. Any final comments, Amy Hill-Harth? Um, well, I want to thank you for having me, and I'm, I'm very excited about this book. I do feel that Dr. Bessie and Miss Sadie Delaney are behind me 100% from the spirit world because they made me <laughs> promise to write this kind of, they said this they took me aside and told me what I was going to be doing in the future after they were gone and this is uh-huh. exactly the kind of book they would have wanted me to do so I feel like I've lived up to that promise Amy Hill Hearth journalist and author of Streetcar to Justice how Elizabeth Jennings won the right to ride in New York if you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard us over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. 
The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at KUT.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm John L. Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.